I'm excited about this next three weeks. I am beginning a series today called Why Not Women? And um, I think we'll have a slide up in a moment. But um, I, we're going to do three parts of this series. And um, my, my heart is so burdened for this um, uh, and for, for what I'm going to be talking about right now. Um, but um, um, over these next three weeks, I'm really asking us to have open hearts and say, Holy Spirit, give us understanding. And uh, though the title suggests that this is only relevant to women, um, men, I want to beg you, plead with you to give me every ounce of attention that's on the inside of you. Because this is not just about um, the lady sitting next to you. This series is about what God is doing in the earth and how we as both men and women are to play a role in it. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God, and I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come into this room. I ask for the spirit of humility and fear of the Lord to rest upon us right now. And God, I ask that as I open my mouth, that your word would pierce hearts today, and your heart would renew and enliven spirits that have been shut down in any way by the accusation of the evil one. Lord, send forth your word and your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Cuban, give him a hand. I'm going to open by reading from Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. Genesis 1, verse 6. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. The rule, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the earth, surface of, on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you and every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Amen. So what we see here in Genesis 1, the reason I'm opening up with this is that today... Um, I, I would subtitle the message of Why Not Women Part 1 is restoring this Genesis 1 mandate to rule and subdue the earth. And what we see in Genesis 1 is that God has created man in his image, but then he specifies that he's created mankind as male and female in his image. And that as he is declaring this creation of, of male and female in his image, he is commissioning both of them with the exact same mandate, is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so God has created man and woman to rule side by side in the government of the kingdom of God across the entire earth. We're in a day... We're in the church where we're seeing an increasing number of, of, of anointed women start stepping into this Genesis 1 
mandate. A number of women were seeing rise in the church in uh, various areas of ministry, various areas of leadership, and actually not only in the church, but in parachurch ministries that are still bringing the kingdom to the earth and even in the marketplace. And um, at the same time, we're still in a period where there is uh, um, objections and resistance to the rise of these women in the places of leadership, both in the church and outside of the church. So, and if you have come to our church, Storehouse, for more than a week or two or three, or really it only takes one time to know that we have a number of women that serve in leadership capacities in, this, in, 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 in our body. Um, um, namely, Tracy Eckert, our fearless leader, who is constantly driving us and filling us with faith and encouraging us with the word of the Lord. Um, but she and many others lead, they teach, they preach, they prophesy, they pray, um, they do all kinds of things. Um, yet, we're still in a world that is not really sure what to do with, um, with women in these areas of leadership. So, um, my heart over this series is to start addressing some of those things, but this is not only to uh, make a defense for how we are operating as a church. Um, it will serve in that way, but, um, but this is more than what Storehouse Church is doing. This is what God is doing in these last days. Because Acts chapter 2 says that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. And men and women will prophesy. On my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So, what I plan to do today is to set up a backdrop for how we engage with scriptures that talk about women in leadership positions. And again, this is not just to serve the women. It is, but it is also meant to say, men, let's partner male and female to fill, subdue, and rule over the earth. Amen? So, I'll give us a backdrop to uh, um, of of and uh, of what is happening in Scripture with um, what Jesus did at the cross and what where we are in the age right now in these last days and how God is using men and women. We'll do an overview of prominent women in both Old and New Testaments, and uh, and 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 again, my heart is to set as backdrop to say let's really look at Genesis one and Acts chapter two, both of which I just quoted to see what God's doing in the earth right now. And then in the coming uh, part two and part three, we'll look more specifically at scriptures that upon uh, um, um, first reading or multiple readings would seem to say that women do not have a place in leadership. And, um, and I want to address those more specifically, um, not this week, but in the follow-up sessions. So here we go. First of all, Genesis chapter one, we saw... God created man, he created mankind, rather. Male and female, he created them. And male and female, he gave this mandate to be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and rule the earth. However, what we saw in Genesis 3 is Eve was deceived by the serpent. And Adam partook of that, of that same fruit that both man and woman together participated in this deception of the evil one, 
that uh, um, we saw this, this Genesis 1 order and design of God's government on the earth start to become distorted. In Genesis chapter 3, God declared that, um, that the woman, that her desire would be for her husband, but that he would rule over her. And he also said to the serpent, he said, I am putting hostility between you and this woman that you have taken advantage of. And I am putting hostility between your seed and her seed. So in Genesis chapter 3, and really before that in chapter 2, what we, uh, um, um, what we began to see is that Satan was already waging a war on women from day one, from the beginning of the story at least. And we have seen this warfare against women continue to this very day. Satan has been aggressively warring against all of mankind, but I think in a very unique way, women, um, to the present. A few examples, which are not pleasant or proper to talk about, maybe some of us may feel, but I think it's important to have this jolt, is in a number of cultures and society up to this present century, um, people are mutilating women, circumcising them at a very young age, which is causing, it's basically genital mutilation that's creating complications for them later on in life, both with fertility, making sex a very painful experience. And this is happening in our world today. The world sex trade. It is a leading industry, money-making industry in America. And if we think, friends, that, these, that the women that are on these pornographic websites are there totally by choice, or, or we're, we're deceived. These women are slaves. And I understand that it is, it is enslaving both men and women, that we're getting held captive in this. But, 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 but women have been um, owned, have been beaten, have been abused, have been treated as slaves in, in so many cultures, and arguably every culture of society up to the present. In the nation of China right now, where abortion is, is just at incredible, alarming levels, that most of the abortions are happening to women, to girls, little baby girls. Beloved, I want us to wake up to what the enemy is doing in this world to steal, kill, and destroy what God has ordained women to do. God is reversing this destruction that the enemy has brought. Acts chapter 2. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I believe that in these last days, that God is equipping and empowering men and women to rise again together and to stop modeling our our leadership off of Genesis 3 and to start modeling it again back to Genesis chapter 1. Something I feel that's relevant to talk about this, uh, this matter is to look at the first century church 
And a crisis they were dealing with, and I use crisis for lack of a better word, because as God began to pour out his spirit on all people, that it started to create a major issue of how not specifically men and women that I'll be highlighting right now, but actually how Jew and Gentile began relating to one another. And I think that this is important to go over because it's very relevant to what, uh, um, what issues that we're facing when it comes to women, not only, um, 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 women serving not only in the church but outside of the church as well. So let's rewind to the book of Acts. Again, as I've quoted a number of times, the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. But the first century church was primarily convo- composed of Jewish people. And I talked about this a bit last week with God's heart and plan for Israel and how God has is, is, um, is, is, is been restoring Jew and Gentile back into one new humanity under Messiah. But in this first century, within uh, first century Judaism, Jews and Gentiles were not allowed to eat together at the same table. A Jewish person, according to Peter's account in the book of Acts, was not allowed to even go and visit the home of a Gentile. And, um, and as this kingdom of God is being established, and an argument that you'll find me making is that this, not only is this incorporation of Gentiles into the kingdom of God going to be an issue, but the service of Gentiles in leadership positions in the kingdom of God is going to be an issue. So, and God had to act dramatically to shift this understanding in the top leadership of the church of the first century. So, Acts chapter 10 and 11. If we'll recall, Peter has seen a number of powerful miracles and conversions, and thousands of people are starting to come into the kingdom. But what happens in Acts chapter 10 is that this Gentile, this God-fearing Gentile named Cornelius, is visited by an angel. And the angel tells to Cornelius, after terrifying him, um, that, uh, that he needs to send messengers and go and get this Jewish man named Peter out of Joppa, bring him over to your house and hear a message from him. So uh, Cornelius obeys and sends three men to the city in which Peter is, is staying to, uh, to bring him back to Cornelius' house. And uh, God had to prepare Peter in a dramatic way to receive these three men um, or else he would have turned them away and turned down their, their, their request for him to come to Cornelius' house. So what happens? Well, Peter is upstairs waiting for his nice kosher Hebrew national hot dog lunch to be made. And he falls into a pre-food coma, a trance. A um, little hungry, falls into a trance, and as he's thinking about that Hebrew national hot dog with kosher mustard sprinkled all over the top, he opens his eyes and sees before him a giant tablecloth coming down from heaven with every possible unclean animal you can imagine on that little picnic blanket, and the voice of God saying, kill and eat. Peter, being a Jew, and still having his mind set on that Hebrew national, I'm quite sure, um, 
was saying, God, I'm, I've never eaten anything unclean. Uh, and, and he's objecting to that voice. And, and the vision, it, 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 and the voice says to him, do not call unholy what God has made clean. And this vision happens a total of three times. Well, as Peter comes out of this bizarre vision in which he's being told to eat all these unclean animals, he's thinking, Holy Spirit, what could you possibly mean by that? Three Gentiles show up at his door. Hey, Peter, I know like we're not technically supposed to be here, but this guy Cornelius, who you know gives a lot of money to the synagogue, by the way, um, he's, uh, he had this angel visit him, and he wants you to come to his house. And Peter's like, okay, here we go. So Peter shows up to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius is not only meeting one-on-one, you know, secretly, okay, I know Jews and Gentiles aren't technically supposed to be doing this. He calls together all of his friends, everyone in his house, everyone in his family. And so Peter comes in this room full of Gentiles, and, and he's, he's, I'm sure, I, I, you know, maybe the vision gave him some confidence, but if he's anything like me, um, uh, that, that he's still coming into the situation being like, okay, Lord, is this, are you sure this is okay, what I'm doing right now? Because I want to be obedient to you. Um, but, um, but he starts boldly declaring the gospel. And as we know the story, that the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius, on all of his friends, on all of his household. They begin speaking in tongues, and, G- and, and Peter and all of his Jewish friends are like, oh, what do we do? Um, <laughs> and so, um, and Peter's response is, baptize them. Baptize them. They're going to get fully incorporated into the kingdom of God, just like all those Jews in Acts chapter 2 did. So, so Peter had a jolting revelation to lead him uh, and, and to, uh, into a, a moment where there would be a power encounter to confirm the experience that he just had. And this would be very important later in Acts. Paul and Barnabas continued um, in their ministry to demonstrate what the Holy Spirit was doing by incorporating and incorporating Gentiles into the body of Christ with Jews under the name of Jesus. Paul goes into the synagogues, preaches the gospel, numbers are converted, numbers want to hear him, but then Unfortunately, there are certain areas where Jewish leaders are pushing him out of town. They even get a lot of Gentiles to knock him out. And, and, and what, what, he, what Paul says to them is, I have come to you first, but God has made me a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations, so I'm going to go to them. Now, very important to note, he kept going to the synagogues in every town he went. Um, but he also started preaching this good news to the Gentiles and seeing powerful healings, casting demons out of all kinds of people, um, um, male and female, Jew and Gentile alike, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and establishing uh, um, believing communities amongst both Jews and Gentiles. And so now what we see is all of these Jews and Gentiles that before weren't really allowed to associate with one another, are meeting in the same houses, are meeting in the same areas, and are fellowshipping together and having dinner together. And um, um, being in the 21st century, this, this uh, is maybe a little difficult for us to connect with, but I want us with every, um, 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 in every way possible to try to go back and say this, this was a big deal, a really big deal. After Peter had his experience with Cornelius' house, Jewish believers, Jewish believers came 
to Peter and said, what were you doing eating with the Gentile? The law forbids this. And Peter had to give testimony to that jolting revelation he had and to that demonstration of power at Cornelius' house. And the Jewish believers that were talking to Peter, oh, God has granted repentance to the Gentiles. This is awesome. But what do we do with that? That's where we come to Acts chapter 15. Because there are also people in the Jewish community, um, whether they were believers or not, looking at Paul's writings from Galatians, it seems more likely that they were not believers that were coming into the churches and telling people, hey, look, if, if these Gentiles are going to associate with Jews, they got to get circumcised and they've got to start keeping kosher and they've got to start uh, um, keeping the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas, because of the power encounters and all the people they had seen come to the Lord, took a, a strong stance against such a notion. So Acts chapter 15. The question that's on the table. Should Gentiles be required to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses to be saved? And really, as we, as we read it, that this was not only a matter of salvation as far as getting into the kingdom, but this was a matter of daily life for them after their conversion. Should they be required to be circumcised and observe the law of Moses? The consensus from this council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 was no way. No way. How did they come to this decision? First of all, Peter's trance. Peter had to recount what happened back in Acts chapter 10, and then what happened at Cornelius' house (laughs) in the next chapter to tell them, look, the Holy Spirit is doing something, and it is by grace that both Jew and Gentile are saved. So why would we put a yoke on these Gentiles that we ourselves have not been able to bear? So he gives that jolting revelation. He gives testimonies, and then Peter, or, and then Paul and Barnabas start sharing. Look, we've gone through all these Gentile towns, and all of these people are coming into the kingdom of God. It, it and and it was what it was doing is what was it was challenging a common interpretation of the scriptures, which was Jew and Gentile not allowed to eat together, not allowed to associate at the same table. In the same house. Um, and so what this jolting revelation and what, this, what these testimonies of the Holy Spirit moving did is it caused them to re-examine and rethink their interpretation of the scriptures. And really the turning point was James, as he quoted from the Old Testament, that God is restoring the tabernacle of David and that the Gentiles are going to come in and seek him. And he's telling them, look, this is in the Bible. The Gentiles are going to come in. We should not put this requirement on them. And then he goes to give some practical instructions that that were important for the Gentiles so that they were not um, um, continuing in their pagan, idolatrous ways. But they were very clear that Gentile believers in Jesus were not required to be circumcised and were not required to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved and in order to walk in the Spirit. Now, I feel like it's important to say the question on the table was not do Jewish believers keep the Torah. Not on the table at all. Another conversation um, and, and 
and I would take you through places in Scripture another time to, to show you that Jewish believers continued in their Torah observance um, and continued, um, Paul continued to circumcise Timothy and to um, do various things um, as such. Um, but but that's, that's not what we're talking about today, but I think it's important to add. Um, so, a jolting revelation, testimonies of the Holy Spirit moving among people caused a re-examination a rethinking of the scriptures that led to a community decision about Gentiles' place in the kingdom. Sadly, it took certain communities a little longer to convince, and some of Paul's letters address these issues, namely the book of Galatians. And then we see in Galatians 3.28 that there is no distinction in the Lord between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, which leads us to our topic. So how does this relate to this uh, question of why not women? Because what we saw in Acts chapter 15 was an issue um, not so much dealing with leadership of Gentiles in the church, but more basic is their, even their salvation and incorporation into the kingdom of God into the body of Christ. Um, um, but I guarantee you that this became a question of leadership as well. Because Jewish apostles, the 12 apostles, all Jewish, would begin transferring leadership over communities composed of both Jews and Gentiles to Gentiles. And then Jewish believers would be in a situation where they have a leader who is a Gentile. And they were called to submit. And vice versa. Okay? So, a common examination in the church today regarding women in the church, in leadership, has read and understood verses to say that women are not allowed to teach or to have any type of authority over a man in the church. That if a woman is in a place where she is an oversight in a leadership position over a grown man that that's not okay. And that if a woman is in a, in a position where she is teaching the word of God, that is not okay. Now, again, today we're not going to unpack every single one of those scriptures that people have used, but I want to take us to a couple of things that were similar to Acts chapter 15. Um, the first one, as far as what are we doing um, um, with this question today, and I want to take us to um, something that for me was a jolting revelation. Now, personally, it wasn't really hard to convince Matthew that, that women have an important role in leadership positions in the church, and a lot of that is because of the church I grew up in. I went to an Episcopal church. Um, my, uh, um, my mother, a woman, was the first person that got me to go to church. My, uh, my, my teacher in my confirmation class in the Episcopal Church, which was grounding us in the foundations of the faith and helping us take ownership of our own faith, was a woman. And this same woman was my youth pastor all throughout high school, a very important mentor to me. There were three women at that church that taught me how to, uh, uh, the ministry of intercession 
And I would go with them after church and deliver uh, um, the Eucharist to people that were too sick um, to come to Mass that day. And we would we'd pray over them. We would, uh, we would uh, distribute uh, the, the elements to them, and we would, um, and we would anoint them with oil. So, uh, um, and, then, and then throughout college, I'm, I'm in, in uh, ministry positions where I'm, where I'm serving with women. And where I'm serving under women. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm at the house of prayer getting inspired by a woman named Tracy Eckert that came to preach in Austin in a way that gripped my heart to say, I've got to have what that lady has. Um, and, and I submitted myself to her leadership and have to this day. And, um, and I've seen a lot of fruit from it. So, um, so, so for me, I'm like, yeah, you know, God's called these people. They've influenced my life. I can see the fruit of it. Um, but what I didn't understand was that it was a huge issue in the church. Um, but God hit me in 2010 with a, with, a, with, a, with a dramatic dream that I want to share with you. This dream I had in uh, July of 2010. And in this dream, I had, uh, um, and this was actually before I had come on staff at Storehouse. I was on staff at, at Trinity Church and working at SMU and campus ministry, still coming to the house of prayer quite often. Um, um, but uh, in the dream, I was with Tracy in a, in a gathering of people, looked like about 200 people in a gymnasium. Tracy's with me with about five other people, and we're up front, and everyone's been worshiping, and, and it's composed of, of men and women, young and old, and, and it seems to be some kind of prophetic conference um, of sorts. Um, it, it was a little unclear what it was, but um, in the dream, Tracy comes up to me, hands me the microphone, and says, you have the word. And in the dream, I'm like, I, I got nothing, you know? So I, I, I grab the microphone. I'm pacing back and forth, praying in tongues, because that's what pastors do when they don't know what to say next. Um, <laughs> like, oh, they're being really spiritual right now. Like, no, we, well, maybe, but sometimes we just run out of things to say. So we're like, Holy Spirit, give me something. <laughs> give me an interpretation of whatever I'm saying right now. Um, um, so that's what I'm doing. But then in the dream, I began to speak, and I declare this. And I want to read it to make sure I get it accurately. Um, I said, there are false prophets in here. You prophesy what is not true. There are false prophets in here. You love honor from men, and you prophesy accordingly. There are false prophets in here. You reject what is true. And I went on to say this. The Lord is raising up women as prophets. There will be women apostles. There will be women prophets. There will be women evangelists. There will be women pastors. There will be women teachers. And I make this declaration, the dream, and commotion goes all over the place. Everyone's upset in the dream, um, including a lot of the women. And a number of people begin to leave. <laughs> um, yeah, I just had a dream, you know, I don't have to make sense of it all the time, right? In the dream, I'm like, what's going on here? Um, everyone's leaving. In the next scene in the dream, I am before a tribunal of, of men, probably about seven to eight of them, that are, uh, um, seem to be the, the leadership or the um, um, uh, apostolic oversight or whatever of this group of 200 people that I had just uh, pretty fiercely rebuked uh, <laughs> publicly, um, and they are angrily rebuking me, and I'm just standing there um, and and not saying anything, not knowing what to say, and just looking at this one man in particular that just he he is mad, um, and so in the next scene, 
um, I'm, uh, I'm back in that gymnasium, and um, um, there are only about 10 or so people left from the original 200 or so that were in the room. And most of them are women, a couple of guys. And so in the dream, uh, uh, we, uh, our team, um, Tracy, me, and a few others start ministering to these people that, had, uh, that remained. And a number of them were young women that had been, seemed to have been hurt or wounded by, by male leadership in some way. And then, um, and then I actually start praying for one of the guys. God, fill him up. And he falls out in the Holy Spirit right there. Um, and, uh, and the dream progresses to a point where I'm just, I'm, I'm standing with Tracy and in the group of people. And I just have this sense in me where I just know in the dream that I've crossed this threshold that's like, okay, there's no going back now. <laughs> that I have said this. I have declared it. People are mad at me. And, and, and I knew in the dream that we were going to be doing this in multiple places. <laughs> and that, um, and, a, and, a, and a sobering thought in the dream was that the persecution and the resistance would most likely increase in future situations. Um, so I wake up from this dream and I'm like, holy spirit, what's going on? Like, I've always loved women in ministry. Why do I need this dream? Um, probably because I'm going to be standing in situations similar to today declaring this thing and saying what God is doing in the earth. Um, so that jolted me. I'm sending, I, I type it up and send it to Tracy as fast as possible. Um, and uh, I've actually never shared this dream publicly until this day. A number, our, people in our community or intercessors know about it, um, but, but this is the first time I've shared it publicly. Um, so I'm just kind of getting ready for a ride. Um, <laughs> So, um, but it's not enough to have just a jolting revelation of something that God's doing in the earth. I want to see the Holy Spirit show me testimonies of power that have broken out with what he was speaking to me in the dream. So, um, let's open up a few slides. And I just want to go through a list of women in the Bible and then just briefly talk about a couple um, um, of today and uh, um, to, to give some testimonies of what God has been doing through women throughout the ages. Um, in the Old Testament, we have prophets and leaders that are women. We have Miriam, Exodus 15. She begins, as they come out of Egypt, she begins to prophesy and play the tambourine and, the, and, a, and a company of women come up with her. And she is before the assembly of Israel, prophesying in a company of both men and women. Micah chapter 6, verse 4, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Micah, and he says, I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Moses, Aaron, and the tambourine girl. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, I pray for like, a dance team and music and flags. You know, I just, I just want to see it all, y'all. Um, <laughs> Tabernacle of David in its fullness. Um, so Miriam held a status on par with Moses and Aaron. Moses was clearly the leader in that situation, but, but Miriam was not to be undermined in her leadership capacity. Deborah, Judges chapter 4 and 5, a prophet a leader, a judge of Israel, a judge. The nation of Israel at that time was ruled by judges, that these were the highest level of leadership in the land. And a woman, a woman 
is one of them. And under her leadership, the nation of Israel triumphs over its enemies. And the commander of the army, um, um, Balak, will actually not even go into war without Deborah. <laughs> and Deborah is saying, okay, I'll go with you, buddy, but it, I'm gonna, people are going to remember that a woman led this, this campaign right here and that a woman's leadership caused Israel to triumph. Huldah, in 2 Kings 22, she is a prophetess that the high priest of Israel goes to seek her counsel. Josiah's reign, they find the book of the law in the temple, and he opens the book of the law and finds out that worshiping demons and sacrificing your children to false gods is a bad thing and that God gets really angry about it. And he and he's and and you know, I, I say it kind of jokingly, but he's he was broken. He tore his garments over this. He says, look at what we're doing. Look how far we've come. And he's, he, he humbles himself, and then the high priest is like, oh, oh, yeah, you know about that. You know, let's, uh, let's go talk to Hulda, see what she has to say about this. And she says, God is very angry, and he is bringing disaster upon this nation. But because Josiah humbled himself, he will relent throughout Josiah's time. The high priest of Israel went to seek her counsel. Very important. Isaiah's wife is mentioned as a prophet. Esther, the queen um, of, 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 of Persia uh, that led Israel, uh, saved the, um, the Jews from a, from a violent persecution. So those are a few Old Testament examples. New Testament, very important um, as well. We have Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. She begins to prophesy. And we read these scriptures um, in, 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 in church today, Mary, the mother of Jesus, prophesies in the very same chapter. Anna is, Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple that Anna, a woman that had, um, pre- had prophesied, prayed, and evangelized at the temple, that she gave herself to decades of fasting and, and prayer and to proclaiming, preaching of the redemption of Israel. Women, I don't have this up here, but um, women finance Jesus' ministry. He had him some business ladies that made sure he always had food on the table, except during that 40-day fast. (laughs) Philip's four daughters in Acts 21 were prophetesses in the church. 1 Corinthians 11 speaks of women that, that are praying, that pray and prophesy in the church. And we'll deal with this uh, passage more in the, weeks to, in the, in the uh, two weeks to come. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others were at the tomb of Jesus, were the first eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And the angels are telling them, go back and tell the apostles <laughs> what you've seen. And so our first evangelists, our first proclaimers of the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ are women. Others that Paul mentions, Junia, Romans 16, 7. He says, quote, Junia, who is outstanding among the apostles and a fellow prisoner. Priscilla who uh, um, a fellow worker, he calls her, which is the same term he uses for Timothy. 
And Timothy um, was, was, uh, was, was mentored, discipled, and even commissioned in oversight positions by Paul himself. The same word, fellow worker, is used to Priscilla. And the Priscilla and Aquila had a church that met in their house. And, um, and, and moreover, Priscilla was there teaching Apollos more accurately the ways of the Lord. A woman was teaching a man who was preaching wrong. And Apollos listened. Phoebe, a deacon at the church at Cancria. I don't know how to say that. Um, but uh, typically in our Bibles, the word, the word deacon is translated as servant. But it's the same Greek word that's used as deacon in other places. And that um, it's a little unclear as far as everything that was involved in, a, in, a, in, in the ministry of a deacon in the New Testament. There are some passages that, that make it clear. But, but it became clear within the second century that, that bishop, priest, and deacon became the three primary offices within the church. Mary, Tryphena, and Tryphosa, hard workers in the church at Rome. Nympha had a, had a church that met in her house. And, and I would argue that this, uh, um, this is, um, um, signifies a leadership position. So we see these women um, in both Old and New Testament. Now, two modern-day ones. Mariah Woodworth Etter. This lady lived from 1844 to 1924. God calls her to preach the gospel to both men and women. And she's resistant for years. And she, she even says in her account, I want to recommend her book, Signs and Wonders, where she's debating with the Lord, God, if I were just a man, this would be a lot more enjoyable. And God's saying, look, I've told you to do this. Are you going to obey, obey me or not? And she goes and she starts to minister. And this woman, guys, you got to read her life. She would be um, standing and preaching, lift up her finger, and go into a, a catatonic state, a trance, um, for long periods of time while she's preaching. Come out of it. Deliver the word of God. People are falling down on the ground under the power of conviction. People getting healed. Demons coming out of people. People going into visions themselves. I mean, this, and, and, and as she's beginning her ministry, she be, as she's preaching, people begin falling down under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it scares her. <laughs> she's like, God, what's going on? And he's saying, I am, my word is coming and it is slaying. <laughs> it's coming and it's striking these hearts. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, but she, but the Holy Spirit through signs and wonders, was confirming the word of God that she was preaching. She made a visit to Dallas, Texas in 1912. This is a reprint from Word and Witness, a report from F.F. Bosworth. It has been about two weeks since our dear sister Edder joined us in the meeting, and we give glory to God for the way he has used her every night in preaching and demonstrating the wonderful gospel of the Son of God. The, in the interest and power increases every night. Last night there were thousands of people in around the tent. Sinners look on and weep as they see the sick and afflicted healed by the power of God every night. Among those healed last night before the great audience was a mute 36-year-old born deaf and dumb. He was instantly healed in the first meeting and attended last night. Sinners wept when they saw he could hear and shout praises to God. 
the lame, the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the palsy, the paralytic, cancers, those suffering from operations, and others dying with incurable diseases have been wonderfully converted and healed by the power of God. Sinners are converted and flocked to Jesus for salvation, and Christians are baptized with the Holy Ghost. Beloved, if we are reading scriptures in a way that says that this woman's ministry is illegitimate, I want us to really think about that. Heidi Baker. Read this book, Compelled by Love. I got a hold of this a few years ago. Wet every other page. And I've actually, it's hard for me to keep a copy of this. I, I don't have my original one. I end up handing it away to people all the time. Um, and uh, um, a million people, over a million people have come to Jesus under her ministry. She actually has a PhD in systematic theology from King's College. But even at a young age, she, she um, um, gave her life to the Lord. She would preach on the street. She would feed the poor. She got filled with the Holy Spirit and just began preaching and then went to Mozambique. And she is empowering both men and women in oversight positions, in teaching and preaching positions in the church. Thousands of churches planted under her ministry. 10, 000, over 10,000 people fed every day and is pulling orphans out of garbage dumps and loving them back to life and teaching them the word of God. There are many others that I'll, I'll highlight over, over these coming couple of weeks, but um, what, what I've decided, what Matthew Esquivel has decided, is that I don't want to make an interpretation of Scripture that invalidates what God is doing through these women and that hardens my heart to hear what they have to say. Anne Graham Lotz, daughter of Billy Graham, as she began to, to preach, she was in a, uh, um, a meeting and as she was preaching, um, a number of men grabbed their chairs, picked them up, turned them around, and sat down. And, and she, she's giving this account. She's like, God, you know, you called me to do this. You know, she doesn't say it quite like that. She's a very humble lady. Um, God, you called me to do this. What do I do? And he just said, he just kept telling her, do what I've told you to do. And I've heard, I've videos I've watched of her teaching. I mean, she gives the best exposition of Matthew 24 than anyone I've ever heard, um, and uh, um, um, many others. But, um, but men, let's not harden our heart towards people that God is doing exploits through. Women, let's not harden our hearts because uh, of, towards people that God is doing exploits through. So, again, um, we're going to go through some of these scriptures that cause this resistance and cause this objection um, um, next week and the following. Um, we'll even do some time for, uh, uh, um, for question and answer that last week. But what I wanna, the point I want to make today is that God is raising up women, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And all of their giftings and callings in the body of Christ will be very important for these last days. God raised up Gentile and Gentile leaders for two reasons. Number one, it was his plan and design from the beginning to have humanity under the lordship of Jesus Christ, filling and subduing the earth together. And number two, God wanted to provoke 
Israel, who was anointed to, to, was, to preach a message and to bring the light of the gospel to all the nations, he was provoking the, the Israel to jealousy by bringing this salvation to the Gentiles so that he could restore it back to Genesis 1. Um, and I believe that similarly, God is raising up women for two reasons. Number one, it was the plan and design from the beginning. Male and female, he created them. Subdue and uh, fill the earth, subdue and rule. And number, um, well, I want to say quickly, God said it was not good for man to be alone. And that's not only at home, that was in the leadership and the subduing of the earth. Number two, God's provoking men to rise up as leaders. There's a lot of debate over whether women should be leading in the church, but there are numbers of those very churches where women are already doing a good chunk of the work. <laughs> and there are women that have come through this church over the years who are dying inside for their husbands to come up and to be leaders, to follow Jesus and to set the tone for the family and to partner with her so that she's not carrying it on her own. Men, we can't just leave the prayer meetings and the, and the, and the Bible studies to women because I tell you, the majority of both that I go to are composed of women. And I'm very thankful for what God is doing amongst our men in this community. And my goal is not to see a church of just female leaders or just male leaders, but to see male and female <laughs> standing together and ruling this, uh, subduing this earth. So here's the decision we've made at Storehouse Church. We have men and women on our pastoral leadership. We have both men and women that serve as elders. And in fact, um, um, some of our elders, uh, these female elders, said their husband is on uh, the elder board with them, but two other women are single women. And we have affirmed and recognized them as leaders, and we want to continue to do so with women in the body of Christ. But men, we want to see you as well. We want to see both rise up in their God-given giftings and talents. Real simply for Matthew Esquivel is that if women are not empowered in ministry, then that we have disarmed half of the body of Christ. And there are too many people that don't know God in this world to make a decision like that. Okay? So, um, I want to have uh, our... Uh, I'd like to have our storehouse leaders and pastoral leadership and elders come up front. They're going to spend some time uh, ministering to folks here, but first I, I want us, uh, as they're, they're standing up here, these are, these are our leaders. These are people that God has anointed and God has empowered to lead this community, and, um, and, and we affirm every single one of them. But I want to have all of us stand, and just where you are in your chair right now, we're going to do some ministry both for men and women.
and then I'll start calling a few of us to come forward and receive ministry. So um, first of all, um, as men and women, I want to I wanna pray for every one of you and uh, for God to release each one of you in your anointings and your giftings. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for every person in this room, male and female, and I declare that they have both been created in your image. And I declare that your spirit is poured out on both men and women. And God, I ask right now for a, a, a grace and power to be released over them, to step into and to walk into their God-given talents, their God-given gifts, their, the spiritual power that you have deposited in them. And that God, nothing, nothing, nothing would hold them back from the call of God over their lives. And now I want to call up women to the front who feel called to serve in the church and ministry or or marketplace in some kind of leadership capacity. And I want to have our team up here pray over you. So if that's you, ladies, I want to have you come up. Now, men, please don't check out. We're not spectators here. I, as a man, though I'm not laying hands on each one of them, I'm going to pray over them, and I'm asking you all to pray with me. And then, um, and then you here up front um, can just minister, pray, and prophesy over them at will. Um, but I wanted to declare this. Come on, look at all these beautiful ladies. So I declare this over you, ladies. The Lord is raising up women as prophets. There will be women apostles. Women prophets, women evangelists, women pastors, and women teachers. So we ask God for each one of these ladies that have come up right here, right now. We ask God for you to strengthen them with power through your spirit in their innermost being. That God, you would fill them with faith. You would fill them with courage to step out in their gifts and callings. God, we just say as, as, as men, as a man, to stand in the gap for any men that has spoken over these ladies and said, you are not qualified to minister in your gifts and talents because you're a woman. I'm asking you right now, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive us. I'd ask you to fill them with hope. And you would heal all brokenness and woundedness in their hearts. Men, 
I just want to invite you forward as well. We want to give ladies first. But I want you to be prayed for and blessed in what God has gifted and anointed you in. So I would invite you to come forward as well, to be prayed for by our leaders and our elders. Father, I pray for every man in this room. I thank you, God, that you have called them sons because you have filled them with that spirit of adoption. And God, I pray for a strengthening of our men to rise up in leadership, to know the voice of the Lord, to know the heart of God like David, to be a man after God's own heart, to lead with confidence and courage, to lead in the fear of the Lord and humility. I thank you for every man, for every woman in this room, Abba. Fill them and strengthen them by your power, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.